Greetings from Skokie, Illinois. I'm Richard Lanford, the red-headed preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, and I welcome you to the March 26th, 2023 edition of our podcast. The message is called A Purpose in God's Power because there are several purposes in God's power, and I will uh, focus on on one which kind of becomes two, but they are connected. Um, I found this an interesting message to prepare, and uh, Judy Page is our elector, and uh, I'm going to stop meandering and uh, open our time together uh, before we hear from the scriptures and then the message uh, with a prayer. Please join me in the spirit if you are able where you are. Great and powerful God, we give you thanks for the love that you have shown us and show us even up to this moment. We ask your blessing on what we are about to hear and on our thinking about it afterwards. May it be consecrated to our spirits for growth and and reflection and more growth from that. That's a great blessing to ask, but we do ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I hope you'll enjoy this one. Like I said, it's a slightly different take about uh, how to look at what happens in our two passages. Our Old Testament reading is Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. The prophet had this vision of hope and communicated it to the people while they were in exile in Babylon, feeling abandoned by the Lord. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and I prophesied, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. As I prophesied, as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. 
They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord, and when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. This ends the reading from Ezekiel. Our gospel passage is John 11, verses 1 through 45. Chapter 10 has just ended with Jesus escaping a conflict where some of the religious leaders wanted to arrest him and stone him. Now something happens that could bring Jesus right back to that risky area. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble, because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. 
When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Here ends the reading of the Gospel lesson and of scriptures for this morning's service. May God give us a joyful and faithful understanding of what we have heard. One of the phrases I remember from my seminary days is that spoken by its then-president James McCord. He once said that too many people think of God as a cosmic cream puff. God, the big softy, full of nothing but grace and service. Dr. McCord might, might have gotten his inspiration from Henry Emerson Fosdick, who wrote that God is not a cosmic bellboy for whom we can ring a bell to get things. But I heard it first and enduringly from Professor Dr. McCord. It is possible that we in the mainline churches, reacting to a generation or more, who bring to the pews and the podcasts they hear a firm belief in an angry waiting to punish God, or at least one before whom our default is guilt or fear. And so reacting to these generations, the mainline churches have preached and taught a God perhaps more like a benign grandparent and wise grandparent. The proclaimers of the prosperity gospel have taken that reaction to yet a whole other level. And as James Goff noted in a Christianity Today article in, in critique of the prosperity gospel, 
wrote, God is reduced to a kind of cosmic bellhop, attending to the needs and desires of his creation. As writer David Jones observed, this is a wholly inadequate and unbiblical view of the relationship between God and humankind. So, I could have called this sermon, God is not a cosmic cream puff. But I came up with another title, which, as we'll find out, is more, I hope it's more, to my point, or points. I spent time with these two fantastic passages, and I asked myself, what are the lessons or the lesson here? What, who, or where is the good news? And these are answers I came up with, ultimately pointing me, and I hope us, to a purpose of God's power. I've told some of you, I think, about my first Paschal Vigil experience at seminary, Saturday night leading into, for us, midnight Easter Sunday. It began in the chapel, but then it went outdoors. It was kind of a traveling vigil. It wasn't kind of, it was. And while gathered outdoors, and it was dark out, while gathered outdoors after it started, someone from the shadows and maybe a bush popped out and began talking about their affliction. This one was an addict. Then another appeared. She was a victim of domestic violence. Another was a person mistreated by her church. Another was an undocumented person, essentially in slavery, and on it went. And then... The passage from Ezekiel 37 was read. We had been confronted with a modern version of a valley of dry bones, of people who felt their hope was lost and who felt cut off completely from God. And that was one leg of a paschal journey, which eventually led back to the very well-lit, triumphant-looking chapel to the proclamation of the resurrection of the crucified one, Jesus Christ. But I never forgot that valley of dry bones, a disparate community of those many left behind with theming, seemingly without hope or without life. That vision of Ezekiel shows the grim situations, first of those exiles in Babylon, if not also those taken away more than a century before by Assyria into what we call the Diaspora, the ten lost tribes of Israel. They all felt abandoned by the Lord. What about those promises? We're all supposed to be always supposed to be on this land. The vision also symbolizes. Excuse me, the vision also symbolically displays that reality we still live with, of peoples feeling dead, dismembered in a way, dried up, feeling cut off from God and bereft of breath. Those addicts, victims of domestic violence and sexual assault, the LGBTQ plus victims of self-righteous churches' love of weaponized orthodoxy, abused refugees, and more, are not a community like exiled Israel and Judah, but they are a kind of gathering of the marginalized, dispossessed, together in a valley like dry bones. These are peoples, after a fashion, This passage in Ezekiel 37 is about God's 
power to change the course of a people once thought dead, or at least done away with. Now those in last week's Bible study on John 3, where we talked about water, spirit, wind, and breath, will find a similar interplay of words here about spirit, wind, and breath in what Judy read. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded and as I prophesied suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked and there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. What might there was in the prophet quoting the command of the Lord? And it continued, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. I do not know about you, but for some crazy reason, until last week, I'd always imagined that these skeletons were standing before the breath came into them, but no, they were assembled now back as bodies with all that we heard about, the sinews and the flesh, but they all remained on the ground in the valley. All that we heard about, but they all remained on the ground, a valley of lifeless bodies put back together. That's a horrific vision. There was great power in what God did through Ezekiel quoting God, but there was no life among them yet. Not until obedient Ezekiel prophesied to the wind, breath, spirit, and then breath came into those lungs. Then they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Now the Lord we know from the reading went on to command another prophecy, one unspoken by Ezekiel for some reason, at least it's not recorded, one where God pledges that this community of Israelites brought back to life by the Spirit, the wind, the breath, will be brought not only out of their graves, a possible foreshadowing of the resurrection of the body for the New Testament, but also brought back to their land, the promised land, I shall put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Fantastic. That's a prodigiously huge act that God will carry out in their future. Behold the power of the Almighty, sovereign over history and powers that be. 
God has the power to change the course of a people formerly cast off, self-doubting, feeling abandoned by God, and as good as dead dry bones in a very dry valley. God has the power to reverse the course and make a new life for those people, those communities. This is no cream puff or bellhop or Casper milk toast God. This is a God of great love. And great power to redeem, to create, to recreate, to bring spirit, breath, life back into them. God does not work on our timetable of impatience and self-centered narrow points of view, but on God's moral arc of the universe. And there is profound life and world-changing power in this Lord of Lords and King of Kings and the Prince of Peace. This power has a purpose. In verse 6, when Ezekiel was getting his first instructions, God had this prophecy declare, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Then near the end of verse 37, we hear this purpose again. And I shall bring you back to the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves, O my people. God has a God-centered priority in using this incalculable divine power to the end that people will know that God is the Lord. That there is a God, and it's not us. That there is a mighty God who can change the course of a people in order that the people will come or come again to know and trust in God. This is a purpose in God's universe-crafting, death-defeating might. Now in this time in history, Statistics and surveys show that more and more people do not believe in God or affiliate with any faith community, which is not the same thing, attend worship or any religious observances. We've all heard about those who identify as spiritual but not religious. The Reverend William Daniel, Lillian Daniel of our UCC, wrote a book in response called When Being Spiritual But Not Religious Is Not Enough. I'm not going to denigrate people who say they are spiritual but not religious. But I do believe that the church, with all our sins throughout history and imperfections which still abound, is the God-chosen vessel which holds and shares the stories of Christ. No one is going to preach, preserve, and distribute the scriptures in their entirety, as the church understands with both testaments, besides the church and its entities. No one is going to tell the love of God in Jesus but the church. The Holy Spirit works outside the church, yes indeed. But it is the church generally who can point to such works of the Spirit outside the church and say that powerful change, that's God working through people. Or sometimes simply, that, that's God, man. You and I heard another riveting testimony to the power of God in John 11. Through Christ, God exerts the power to raise the dead. Now, I'm sure 
you know that Lazarus was not resurrected as we understand resurrection. He was instead resuscitated or revivified. There's no death in resurrection. But those who are revivified or resurrected, even by the hand of God, as Lazarus was, will still physically die. This miracle is another foreshadowing of Christ's own being raised from the tomb by God. But here it is not the power of God to change the course of an already existent people, but by faith in Christ to create a new people, starting with the Jewish nation. Paul famously wrote to the Gentile believers, and remembering Gentile believers and Jewish believers, they still had their old grudges that go back, well, not history, because there weren't Gentile Christians for history for centuries by then, but... They were still, how are we going to get along? You know, you're a Jew, I'm a Gentile, we both believe in Christ, but... So Paul famously wrote to the Gentile believers that Jesus crucified and risen, quote, has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two. One new humanity in place of the two, thereby, or excuse me, thus, making peace. We celebrate this power of God and the love behind it in two weeks. And yet to be real, you know, we do it every Sunday. We gather because every Sunday is a mini celebration of the resurrection. That's why we worship on Sunday, the first day of the week. But there is still that purpose behind God's power like we found in Ezekiel. In the opening verses, when Jesus learns of his dear friend's illness, he told the disciples, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Later at the tomb, Jesus has a brief exchange with Martha. He refers back to their conversation before Mary came to them. He said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? After the stone was removed, Jesus prayed aloud, self-consciously saying, I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe you have sent me. Jesus' words raised Lazarus up and out of the tomb. John reported, many of the Jews therefore believed, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. God's purpose in raising the dead was fulfilled. More people believed. The power of God in raising Lazarus, a precursor to the true lasting victory over the grave, had a purpose that's not just about our salvation. It was to glorify God, to glorify the Son of God, and especially like in Ezekiel, that they may believe that you sent me that they may believe that I, the Lord, that I, the Lord, am God. A purpose of God using this supreme power was for the benefit of more and more persons coming to believe in God and for the Christians in Jesus Christ the Son, thereby creating a new community. And this new community, or communities, born of that amazing spirit, sparked by words of prophets and scripture, is to spread the word itself. God so loved the world that God in Christ may create a new humanity in place of all the separate divided ones. 
that there may be a family of resurrection where there is no bigotry of word, attitude, or practice. A community of compassion that is not afraid of, but even seeks inconvenience or sacrifice to show forth this grace and power of God. God creates communities and individuals who in many cases once were as good as dead or felt that they were, but now are alive in the Spirit. Communities which show the world to the best of our imperfect abilities, not only that God is real, that Jesus is Lord, but that we will love you. We will pray with you and for you. We will join in struggles for justice and peace and the integrity of creation. We will welcome those who have been scarred by unwelcome elsewhere in churches. We used to worry about just ourselves, our needs, our fears, but because Jesus is within us by faith, we look at things a new way. We worry about others, their needs, their fears, without making an idol out of our property, traditions, or even our theologies. Because as I was taught, we are not saved by our theologies, we are saved by grace. The purpose of God's power is to move people to believe, even if they thought they were out of hope. And thereby, recreate new peoples of change that more may know that the Lord is God and that's good news it's happening now Amen. hi on the flip side uh, I hope that you found this message uh, encouraging uh, one bringing some hope as well as remembering again that uh, from the scriptures, not the message so much, that you know Jesus was full of emotion at the death of his good friend, and there are some differing interpretations. Uh, a lot of the Greek really transfers some of that you know deep disturbance within him as as anger, but clearly Jesus wept, and uh, it's also good to be reminded that Jesus is not you know, some kind of um, sort of un unrelatable, you know, person in the past, but as someone who grieves and has grieved as we do. And the yet out of that, new life is foreshadowed or comes. So again, I hope that you found this message meaningful and hopeful. And I also pray that God will bless you and your loved ones and that God will bless your week. Thanks again for listening. Amen. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.